I have a question I would like to begin this morning's message with, and the question is this. Since 3600 B.C., that's a period of 5,600 years, how many years have there been world peace? Two hundred and ninety-two years. By the way, this comes from the Canadian Army Journal of a number of years ago. But imagine that in over 5,600 years of recorded history, there have only been 292 years of world peace. Uh, during this same time, there have been 14,000 531 wars. And during that same period of time, get this, 3,640,000,000 people have been killed. Staggering, staggering thoughts. And then from 1500 B.C., that's the time of Moses, to A.D. 1860, over 3,000 years, there were 8,000 peace treaties. Of those 8,000 peace treaties, the average time they lasted was two years. Now, I want you to add to this the personal wars that go on every day. Wars within politics, wars between labor and management, wars between neighbors, uh, between rival games, uh, wars with co-workers, wars between friends, uh, wars between spouses within families, and as we all know, wars within churches. Do you know it is very possible that somebody here today in our two services is at war with somebody right now? And surely many of us in our church today have someone who is at war with us, though we may not want that war with them. I wonder, would anyone doubt the statement of uh, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59, 8, the way of peace they know not? Would anyone doubt that that is true? And no wonder uh, the seventh beatitude that Jesus gives to us is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know what I thought? If you had no acquaintance with the Beatitudes at all, if you had never read them and yet you were aware of the history of mankind, you would just guess this would be one of the Beatitudes. We desperately need peacemakers. And all God's people said to that, Amen. We know that is true. And so this morning we come to this very critical question. How do we become peacemakers? How do we become peacemakers? Well, that is the answer of the seventh beatitude. And you may want to take your Bibles again and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And this morning we want to look together at verse 9 and the seventh of Jesus' eight beatitudes. 
where he gives us these very penetrating words, these very needed words in each of our hearts when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now the Bible gives to us at least three answers to this question, how we become peacemakers. So as Raymond prayed, and I appreciated that prayer so much, let's dig into the word this morning to find the answer. Here is the first answer that the scripture gives to us. A peacemaker has experienced peace with God. Now doesn't that just make sense? Isn't this where it has to begin? We have to start with peace with God if we are going to be a peacemaker in this world. Now, I think that you know the Bible teaches us that God is the greatest peacemaker. When he sent his spirit into the world during the church age, he came in the form of a dove. And you know the dove is a symbol of the peacemaker. And so God in the Bible is the greatest peacemaker. Now here is the number of ways that God makes peace. First of all, His very name is the Lord is peace. In the book of Judges in chapter 6, Gideon, one of the great judges, saw the angel of the Lord. And he was convinced he was going to die. He said, that's it, I'm done. I have seen God, it is over for me. But the Lord said this to Gideon in Judges 6, verse 23. He said, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And God had come in peace to deliver Israel from her enemies through Gideon. And Gideon was so grateful that he built an altar and he named that altar Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. What a name for God. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Now the New Testament picks up on this. And in a number of places, it calls God the God of peace, the Lord of peace. In fact, if we were to ask the question, how much is God the God of peace? Listen to this. The word peace appears 280 times in the Old Testament. Paul alone uses the word peace in his letters 49 times. God's name is the Lord is peace. Second thing we understand about God as the peacemaker is he sent his son to be the prince of peace. Now all of us know Isaiah 9.6 that he would be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and say the last one with me, prince of peace. You know the word prince comes from the Latin princip. It means leader, initiator, or chief. So the Bible is telling us that Jesus is the chief of peace. I love this old statement I used to hear uh, quite often, there will never be world peace until the world accepts the prince of peace. Do we need to hear that again today? Yes, we do. 
there will never be world peace until the world accepts the Prince of Peace. Now here's the third way that God makes peace as the greatest peacemaker. He makes peace with sinners through Jesus' shed blood. Oh, how I love these songs that we sang this morning that told us this very thing. But turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 for just a moment. And this is the only other passage in the entire Bible where the word peacemaker is used. It is the verbal form. So as we turn from the seventh beatitude to Colossians chapter 1, this is the only other place where this word is used. Now follow along as I read, starting in verse 19 of Colossians 1, and verse 20 uses the verbal form of the word peacemaker. Listen to what God says. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, there's the word peacemaker, through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Would you look at what God has done? Verse 21 says, we were alienated. Enemies because of evil behavior. Those are very strong words. Alienated means cut off from God. Enemies means actively hostile to God. And all of it, he says, is because of evil behavior. By the way, the first beatitude says that we must be poor in spirit. This is a description of what that is. When we come to a verse like this and we read, once you were alienated from God and you were His enemies, actively hostile to Him in your minds because of your evil behavior, when we say, that was me in my natural self, we are poor in spirit when we acknowledge that about ourselves naturally. And by the way, what should God do? What should God do with people like verse 21? Well, He ought to condemn us. He ought to judge us. His wrath should be poured out upon us. But instead, what did God do? Look at verse 22 again. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through His death. 
Do you know this word reconciled is one of the greatest words in all of the Bible used twice here in this passage and here is the meaning of this great word. Reconciled means turning enemies into friends by removing the hostility. Isn't that good news this morning? That is good news this morning. Now verse 20 explains how God did that. He made peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. This solves the problem of the evil behavior that alienated us from God. The shedding of His blood paid for our sins. He became our substitute and our sacrifice. And now instead of enemies, the Bible says, God makes us His friends. Now we can have peace with God. Let me ask you this morning. Have you experienced this peace with God? Have you experienced this peace with God? This is the key to all other relationships. It begins here. Only when we have experienced peace with God will our other relationships be the way that God intended them to be. Now notice this in the fourth way that God is the greatest peacemaker. He forms His character as a peacemaker into His children. Listen again to the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Let me this morning give you a simple definition of the word peacemaker. Here is the definition. It is one who having received the peace of God in his own heart brings peace to others. Let me give you that definition again. Peacemaker is one who having received the peace of God in his own heart now brings peace to others. What is Jesus saying? He's making it very simple. Before we can have peace horizontally with people, we must have peace vertically with God. That's the way it always must work. Before we can have peace horizontally with the people in our lives, we must first have peace vertically with God. Now what Jesus says is when that happens, God then calls us His sons. Mark this down very carefully. Jesus very specifically says they will be called the sons of God. Huios, the huios of God is the Greek word. It is a very precise title. It refers to relationship and character. One of the things we've learned as we have studied the Beatitudes is the Beatitudes are giving to us the character of those who know Jesus. 
Now when we get to the seventh beatitude, what we understand is that as we enter into a relationship with God, He now works within us His character as a peacemaker. We now can do God's work in the world as His co-workers making peace. Well, how wonderful this is. We now, in peace with God, can be his co-workers, doing his work in the world, making peace. Now, as we study our Bibles, what we discover is that there are two places God calls us to make peace. Peace in the church and peace in the world. I want you to notice how God applies this to us. Second answer to this question, how can we be peacemakers, is a peacemaker lets Christ's peace be the ruler with fellow believers. That's peace in the church. I want you to turn over with me to a very significant passage in Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul applies this to us to make peace in the church. Look at what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts... Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Now, fasten in for just a moment on that expression, the peace of Christ. It means two things. Number one, peace is a distinguishing mark of Christianity. The peace of Christ is His peace. It is the peace that Jesus is the author of amongst his people. Peace shows that we are sons of God. May I just say this this morning? Since Jesus is the author of this peace, to destroy it is a very serious matter. Since Jesus is the author of this peace amongst his people, to destroy peace in his church is a very, very serious matter. I never tire of saying these things that you have heard me say before. Let me say them again. A well-known pastor said, God will not bless a divided church. And all God's people said... That is absolutely true. And my old professor, Dr. Q. Saint, who is now an elder in Chuck Swindoll's church in Dallas, Texas, said to us in class these words I've never forgotten, don't ever participate in a church split. It would be better for you to leave than to split a church. And he was exactly right. Peace is a distinguishing mark of Christianity that Jesus has produced and provided for us and it is a very serious matter to split the church of Jesus Christ. Secondly, this is not a peace at any price. This is not a peace at any price. This is the peace of Christ. 
Let me ask you this morning, what kind of peace is Jesus the author of? Well, what do the Beatitudes tell us? Long before we get to peacemakers, Jesus has called us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Before we ever get to the seventh beatitude, we have the sixth beatitude where Jesus calls us to be pure in heart. What kind of peace is Jesus the author of? He is the author of a righteous and a pure peace. This is not a peace at any price. This very month, a major Marquette Church in downtown Marquette publicly announced that they are now a haven for sexual deviancy. Twice in the newspaper in this month, they said they will make no distinction between deviant sexual practices and those that are normal as ordained by God in His holy word in marriage. They said they will give the peace of affirmation to anyone, regardless of what they may want to do. Now can I tell you this morning, that is peace at any price. That's what that is. Listen to what James 3.17 says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. You see, before we can ever be a peacemaker... We must first purify our hearts. People, please see this today in the Word of God. There is a divine order in the Beatitudes. The seventh one comes after righteousness and purity, and it must come where it does come so that we will know the basis for peace in God's church. And it is only when we are concerned about rights and purity that we can make peace God's way. Sin is a contradiction of peace. It is warring and continuing the war against God. And if I am warring against God... There is no question that I will be warring with God's people in the church. Now the Bible so wonderfully teaches us God can forgive any sin that we are struggling with and God can help us with that sin. And all of God's people said this morning, Amen. But, but, we must repent Accept peace with God, and then we can make peace in God's church. By the way, did you notice here in verse 15 how we are to do that? Paul says, let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts. It's a very interesting word. The word rule here is our word umpire, and it refers to the activity of an umpire in deciding an athletic contest. Uh, this is very much the image that Paul has in mind when he talks about letting the peace of Christ rule or umpire within the church. By the way, look at this guy on second base. He thinks he's safe, doesn't he? Does that decide? Because he thinks he's safe, does that decide? No way. There is a man in the picture who has a black jacket on, gray pants. We call him the umpire. He decides. Now here's the idea. We are to let Christ's peace umpire or control the situation in our church. What he is telling us is what will bring about peace ought to have the final say. That's what we should choose. So we are to ask these questions. If it is righteousness, purity, God's word, respecting people, no compromise. No compromise at all on those. We know what God has asked us to do. If it's righteousness, purity, God's word, respecting people, there is no compromise. But if it is lesser things, he says, let what makes for peace be the deciding factor. That's how peacemakers make peace in God's church. I wonder this morning if I could ask all of us a very important question. Let's suppose that this is not a baseball game, but let's suppose that this is Bethel Baptist Church. Where would you be? On second base? Waving your arms? Having to have your decision in close calls? Or would you be looking at Christ in times of disagreement, waiting for his decision to rule? Which one are you at Bethel? You know what I have to freely confess? We can easily be like the guy on second base, can't we? Disagreement happens in the church, there's close calls, we're on second base, waving our arms. Let me make the decision, let me make the decision. A peacemaker in close calls looks to Christ for his decision so that his peace rules. It is the way those who have become reconciled to God and are at peace with Him over lesser matters allow Christ to be the umpire in their church. And don't you want to say this morning, we need more people like that in our churches. Oh, how we do. Now God tells us there's another way 
that peacemakers apply the peace in their own hearts to the people around them. Thirdly and finally, a peacemaker lives at peace, if at all possible, even with non-believers. Take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and I want you to notice this very important verse in verse 18. Romans chapter 12 and, and verse 18. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says, and here he's talking about our relationship with non-Christians. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now this is one of those wonderful verses in the Bible because it tells us how we are to have peace with non-believers. How do we deal with non-believers? A couple of things are key. Number one, he says, if it is possible. Some people are so contrary, no matter what you do, they will not allow you to have peace with them. How many are grateful, he says, if it be possible? But notice the second thing. As far as depends on you. Do not miss that this morning. That means make every effort, do everything you can. When he says, as far as depends on you, he means you as a Christian with a non-Christian make every effort do the very best that you can. Now this is one of those verses when you wonder how the wonderful answer is keep reading. Sometimes you come to a verse and you have a question, how does this work in my life? And the surrounding context will answer the question for you. This is one of those places, the surrounding verses explain the lengths we should go to make peace. Uh, Pastor Hank, your words in your prayer this morning when you read uh, the, the seventh beatitude could not have been more true. This often is very difficult to do. Look at the lengths we are to go to. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So we are to never to get even. Look at verse 19. Do not retake revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We are never ever to act out of vengeance. Look at verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. We are to serve our enemy where possible. And then look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to act in kindness towards our enemy. Now this then is how we fulfill verse 18, as far as it depends upon you, make every effort, do everything you can. How do we do that? Never get even, never act out of vengeance, serve your enemy where possible, and always meet evil towards you by acting in kindness towards them. And says Paul, this is how peacemakers who are sons of God deal with the non-believer. 
Let me tell you that in my former church, there was a married couple who caused us a lot of problems in our church. They were know-it-alls, and they did not like change that they could not control. They stirred up bad feelings, and they always had to win without compromise. They finally left our church, and when they left, they left a very bad taste in my mouth. How bad was the taste? I, I just hate to tell you this. When we would go back to visit town, I would say to Ellen, I hope we do not accidentally run into them. That's how much I resented what they did. When they came to our church, I personally encouraged them. And when they acted the way they did and left in the way that they did, it seemed like a personal betrayal to me. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to sit down, write them an angry letter, and tell them off. Fortunately, the Lord prevailed. Some of you are smiling at me. I can see you've wanted to write letters like that as well. Fortunately, the Lord prevailed, and I did not write that letter. Fast forward now over ten years. I am preaching at the Presque Isle outdoor service last summer in July, and guess who shows up for a visit? That very couple. Talk about the shock of all shocks. The wife said to me when our service concluded and we were getting ready to go down for our baptism, she said, oh, it was so wonderful to hear your voice preaching again. I invited them to stay for our outdoor potluck. They did. We talked like we were long-lost friends. They had such a good time, they said that they were going to come and visit us again sometime. Do you know what I'm glad I did not do? Over a decade ago, what was I glad I did not do? I did not write them an angry letter telling them off. Do you know last July out at Presque Isle, we had a healing in our relationship. We discovered they have pain in their life. Their daughter has abandoned God. And we ministered to them. And we encouraged them. And can you believe this? The wife is still sending friendly text messages to my wife. I'm telling you this peacemaking thing is right. This peacemaking thing is 
right. It is right. It is God's plan and purpose for us. And here it is. All laid out. So wonderfully, so beautifully. In God's Word. May God raise up amongst His people peacemakers today and all of God's people said, Amen. Let's bow our hearts together and let's close our eyes. Are you at peace with God? Dear church members, I had no idea when I began preaching on the Beatitudes that I would preach the gospel so much as I have. Every single one of these Beatitudes has brought us time and time again to the foot of the cross and our need of Christ. And I had no idea that would happen. And I don't want anyone here today to leave this church until you know you are at peace with God. Have you come to the foot of the cross? Have you confessed your alienation, your active hostility because of your evil behavior? And have you called on God in mercy to save you for Jesus' sake? Oh, please do that now. Please do that now. Peace with God is a prayer away from your life. It is a prayer of repentance and faith away from your life. Make peace with God now. And then for those of us who know the Lord, Are we the kind of people that let the peace of Christ rule in our church in lesser matters? Or are we waving our arms because we have to make the decision? Are we making every effort, doing everything we can so that we will be in peace with non-believers all around us. It is when we are peacemakers that we reveal we are the sons of God. And so let us, let Him search us and change us. If there are areas of repentance, let us repent. If there are people, we must ask for forgiveness. Let us do so. 
if there are former churches we have been troublemakers in, let us make a phone call or write a letter that we might be in our new church what God would have us to be. Lord Jesus, we know that in the world there is a lack of peace. We expect that. What is so sad is when there is turmoil, friction, division amongst God's people. Father, some churches have a notorious reputation. May that never be true of Bethel. Some Christians, Lord, are known as those who must have their way and stir the pot. May that never be true of us. Lord, may we never compromise and accept peace at any price. But may we know when it's right for Christ to rule in lesser matters. Help us never to repay evil for evil, to act in vengeance, but to serve even our very enemies and return their wrong with acts of kindness. For then we will truly be known as the sons and daughters of God. We love you, Lord, today. Continue to work your beautiful character into each heart. For Jesus' sake, amen.